Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everybody, it's Erin Carey, and I am super excited to be sitting down with the one and only Dell Bigtree today. He is one of the preeminent voices of the vaccine risk awareness movement. His career as an Emmy-winning producer of the CBS talk show, The Doctors, changed prof- profoundly when he produced the documentary Vaxxed, From Cover-Up to Catastrophe, which is credited with igniting a revolution against pharmaceutical tyranny around the world. Now, Dell's internet news show, The High Wire, is the fastest growing program in the natural health arena with over 75 million views. His nonprofit, the Informed Consent Action Network, or ICANN, is leading worldwide investigations into drug and vaccine fraud that have already resulted in multiple winning lawsuits against U.S. government agencies, Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health, CDC, and FDA. But Dell is probably best known for his powerful speeches that weave shocking truth, searing wit, and dynamic passion into an experience that is often described as electrifying. So thank you, Dell, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. So let me tell you, I'm, I'm really excited to have you because we do talk mostly health related topics on the show. We talk about gut health. We talk about inflammation. We talk about grief and trauma, but we haven't really talked about what medical freedom is. We talk about being your own health advocate, but medical freedom is a word that I'm hearing pop up a lot. And you are somebody who you speak up a lot about it. And so I'm excited to just pick your brain. And before we get started into that, I'd love to talk a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now. So anybody who hasn't heard your name can get an idea of where you're coming from. Yeah. So I, you know, as, as life has it, I always love that uh, line, you know, life is what happens while you're making plans. Um, I ended up in Hollywood. I um, had, uh, you know, wanted to be a filmmaker, but certain things happened. I eventually had a friend call and say, we need an extra camera operator for the Dr. Phil show. I said, okay. So I showed up. And next thing I know, the next few years, I was field producing for the Dr. Phil show, flying all over the country, you know, interviewing people that were going to be on the show, all these crazy family stories and things. And then the Dr. Phil show created the show, The Doctors. Actually, it was Dr. Phil's son, Jay McGraw. Uh, I was brought in um, as the field producer to work with the new executive producer to help figure out how we would make medicine into a daily talk show. It was the first of its kind. Uh, And so I ended up uh, being on The Doctors for about six years. I won an Emmy Award, celebrating the best that medicine and science has to offer. It was an amazing job. You know, you'd find someone with an ailment or some problem with their body that no one in the world could figure out. And then as a reporter or journalist, I would search the world for renowned scientists or new, you know, surgeries or techniques, find that surgeon or, you know, specialist and put them together and provide a free surgery or free just, just so we could advert so that the doctor could show the world what they were doing and then, you know, save this person's life. So it's really amazing. Uh, But in the middle of that, um, I eventually, what happened was I got tipped off by an inside source 
that uh, called me and said, Dell, you know, I know the doctors doesn't touch this vaccine autism uh, discussion, but there's a huge story about to break. There's a whistleblower inside the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention named Dr. William Thompson that is about to come forward and tell the world that they've been committing scientific fraud on the vaccine safety studies inside of the CDC. Um, so I pursued that. I went to my executive producers, as I always did. You know, you have to sort of pitch your stories. And I said, look, I think I might have the jump on a huge story. Uh, we've got a whistleblower inside the CDC that's now saying they're committing fraud in the safety studies around vaccines. Uh, my show said, well, we're not going, you know, the executive producer said, we're not going anywhere near that, Dell. We're not going to piss off the CDC. We're not going to upset, you know, our pharmaceutical sponsors, like in this case, Merck, who makes the MMR vaccine, which was really the center of this discussion. And so that led me, that started a journey for me to see, first of all, was this story real? And sure enough, two weeks later, this whistleblower had, uh, there was these recorded conversations where they were saying things like, we hid statistically significant information from the public. Um, we saw a causal relationship between the MMR vaccine and autism. Um, and we, you know, we hid it, we shut it down. And, you know, saying things like, I can't believe we've done what we've done. I feel guilty every time I see a child with autism. And so, you know, seeing those statements being made, I, I thought, wow, someone should be making a documentary. Somebody should be doing something about that. And as fate would have it, I ran into the people that had been working on a documentary and for about a year had been discussing with Dr. William Thompson how to come forward. And so I got involved with that documentary, which as soon as you step onto that third rail of vaccinations or any danger around vaccines, you pretty much, you torch your you know, career in television because television, so much of the funding on our TVs is really pharma. People don't realize this, but roughly you know, 50 to 75% of the advertising on each of your channels is pharma funding. And you can start to watch this. If you watch the commercial breaks, count how many pharmaceutical ads there are and you realize that that is who is dictating to our news anchors what they're allowed to say. That's who's dictating to the reporters what they're allowed to say. And so any conversation around the danger of drugs or vaccines uh, really can't be approached on television. And so anyway, I made a documentary called Vaxxed, as you said in the, in the opening, uh, and that uh, ignited a firestorm. Uh, we had the not just the words of William Thompson, the whistleblower inside the CDC, but we also interviewed world-renowned scientists that had been looking at autism for years. And many of the parents telling their story, some of them, you know, very well-educated people that watched the demise of their child after vaccination. And that film, I think, you know, there, there had always been a movement there and there've been many great films about vaccine injury, but something about vaxxed really took everything to another level. And it sort of, it catapulted me into the spotlight around this issue where suddenly where I'd been celebrating medicine and science as a career. And I approached this documentary based on how we always did the, the doctor's television show, multiple sources. I don't just make things up. I'm not following a conspiracy theory. I've got to be able to prove my points. That's what that film did. Yet I'm still was immediately, you know, labeled an anti-vaxxer. And, you know, that was, uh, you know, and that was the uh, beginning of 2016, that film released. And I think what really made it exploded, uh, explode was the attack upon it. We got kicked out of Tribeca Film Festival um, once it was announced that our film was in there. 
Then Robert De Niro stood up for our film because he was one of the, the, the sponsors or, you know, had started Tribeca Film Festival and told the world, I have an autistic child. And my wife and I have always believed that vaccines, you know, were uh, to blame for the regression into autism. And I want this movie to be seen. And then you really saw the, this power of pharma in that Tribeca, even after Robert De Niro supported us, they still pulled it out of the festival. And so that all of that just made this one of the biggest stories at that time, um, I went on to create a nonprofit um, to do deeper investigation. The film really only centered around the MMR vaccine, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, and this question about autism. But as we're touring the country, you know, from theater to theater over the course of a year, so many parents were saying things like, my child never got to the MMR vaccine. My child regressed into autism after the DTaP vaccine or my child died right after the flu vaccine, or my daughter was paralyzed and has never walked again two days after getting the Gardasil vaccine. And you know, a lot of times they would say, my child was a star athlete and now is, is in a wheelchair the rest of her life right after the, the vaccine. So those things made me start to question uh, the same thing I was being asked. Everywhere I was going, people said, well, is it just the MMR vaccine? Because that's what your film is about. Or are there other vaccines that are dangerous? And I didn't have answers to that. And I wanted answers. And so that's why I started my nonprofit, the Informed Consent Action Network. And for the last five years, we've been investigating nothing really but uh, the safety of vaccines. And we've read every study that references safety uh, and then I started um, an internet talk show, The High Wire, which people can see at thehighwire.com. In order to present this information, I mean, no television is going to, you know, no reporter is going to interview me. No news station is allowed to talk to me. And I know that because I used to work for CBS. I know what that story is. So we created the talks of The High Wire so we could get the information out that we were finding in our investigation. Wow, that, you know, and that's a heavy, <laughs> that's a heavy load you're carrying. You know, you're up against people who are saying you're a conspiracy theorist or you're an anti-vaxxer or you are just, you know, trying to make everybody sick. And so I, I think that you're up against a lot and this topic is so divisive. And so I do want to ask, are you an anti-vaxxer? You know, I get actually get in trouble when I say, uh, no, I'm not an anti-vaxxer because there are people that truly are anti-vaxxers now. And for a very good reason, they have children, they've watched be devastated by uh, vaccines and they get upset because like, Dell, you know, our story, it's true, but I want to be really clear about where I come from. I am pro-science. I am a fan of science. I geek out reading uh, medical journals and studies and trials and things like that. I've been just, you know, in pig heaven, you know, reading about all these coronavirus vaccine trials. I mean, that is what I do. And one of the things that we always hear or have heard, and I think that we, we're going to hear less of this now, um, we can talk about that, but we always heard the science is settled. Vaccines are safe and effective. And I have always said on every stage, and I speak all around the world, that that is the least scientific statement you can make, that the science is settled. Even in our high school science classes, we learned that science is perpetually and always evolving and that, you know, there is always changes and it's rarely that the consensus makes the change. In fact, almost always the growth of science is because one scientist, one doctor, one team decided to venture, ask a different question and found something out that changes science or our knowledge forever. 
and we can never you know interfere with that process and so i've always said that if that's the least you know um, scientific statement that can be made then for someone to say i am anti-vaccine means my science is settled that my science around vaccines is settled and it will never change that's not who I am. Um, I'm not going to play the same game that they are. I'm also not here to eradicate vaccines off the planet for people that believe in vaccines, just like there's people that don't want to put vaccines in their children. I believe they have the right to make that decision. Uh, also, the people that believe in vaccines have the right to make that decision. You know, these are mostly what I really fight for is parental rights and body autonomy and control over our own bodies. But I will say this, in my investigation of specifically the childhood vaccines, which is now 16 vaccines, you know, depending on what state you're in, but roughly 16 vaccines given in 54 shots uh, or 72 doses. We're giving 72 doses of vaccines by the time you're 18. And what we have learned through the lawsuits I've won against our government agencies, because they won't answer some of the questions we make them answer in court, is that not a single vaccine we're injecting into our children has ever been through a proper safety trial. And what I mean by that is we all grew up hearing about the double blind placebo study. Um, and that's where one group gets the drug or the vaccine and the other group gets a saline injection if it's injectable or a sugar pill uh, if it's a pill. And we track both groups you know, through for usually five to 10 years to see if there's any long-term effects like cancer or does it mutate your genes? Does it cause diabetes? These are things that every drug we take, they go through these safety trials. But what we had found is not a single childhood vaccine had ever been through that process. And so I will say this, I personally, I never tell other people what to do, but I make a habit of not in, putting anything into my children that has never been through a proper safety trial. So I don't vaccinate my children with any of the vaccines that currently exist because they have never been proven to be safe. And so people can take that as they will. It doesn't mean I will never take a vaccine. Doesn't mean someday they do trials that show us that the safety um, is there or things like that. But um, under the circumstances, I just make it a habit of not, you know, just blind faith trusting the pharmaceutical industry because I've watched them pay out hundreds of billions of dollars for killing people based on the lies that we know that they, you know, they sort of stand behind often. and. I want more transparency. And, and to put it really simply, for people that try to understand where I'm coming from, you know, um, Ralph Nader is a, is a hero of mine. Like I grew up and I watched Ralph Nader, who really is famous for going after the automobile industry in America, saying, these cars are deadly, they're dangerous. We need to uh, really put pressure on this industry to make a better product. He's the reason we have seatbelts in cars. He's the reason we have crash tests that make sure that like the Pinto doesn't blow up when you run into it. Well, the car industry at that time was massively powerful and had a lot of control over media, right? It was investing at that time as one of the biggest investors in advertising. And so there were, you know, media agencies attacking Ralph Nader and even politicians attacking him. Uh, he was investigated by the FBI. All of that he sued and won. But in the end, we all drive safer cars because he didn't let go of his desire and his investigation had shown him what nobody else wanted to look at, which is this, these industries did not actually care about our safety. And he made sure that they did. And I sort of see myself in that same position. It's not convenient. 
This is a very inconvenient truth that a pharmaceutical industry that is lies all the time, pays out billions for killing people, is actually in charge of making our vaccines. And the vaccines are the one product they make where they can't be sued for liability. So you don't even have the natural market force to make them evolve the product simply because they don't want to pay out all the injuries that we see them pay out for Fenfen, for Vioxx, for talcum powder. I mean, we watch this all the time, right? Um, The big one, Oxycontin, of course. Uh, They don't have to do that with vaccines. So we've created this perfect storm where this corrupt industry is making a product that has no safety overview, is not going through proper safety studies, and then you can't sue them when the product injures you. I want all of that changed. I simply, if I could fix one thing, I want liability back on the industry. I think it's insane that this industry cannot be sued when the product hurts somebody. When we hear that vaccine injury is one in a million, they're saying that right now with the coronavirus vaccine, even though we're watching people die in headlines almost every day now and their faces are drooping with Bell's palsy or they're having anaphylaxis, you know, deadly allergic reactions or Steven Johnson syndrome where their skin is falling off. This is all happening in the news, yet we're being told, well, it's, it's rare, it's one in a million. And I say this, okay, If it is one in a million, I'm pretty sure this industry can afford to pay for those lawsuits, especially when we're saying that in the case of the uh, COVID-19 vaccine, they're saying Moderna and Pfizer stand to make about $35 billion in one year this year from their two vaccines. If they're making $35 billion, I'm pretty sure they can afford to deal with a lawsuit from the one in a million. And if they can't, then I rest my case. These things are more dangerous than they know it. They will say, well, it's not viable. We can't make this product if we can be sued. I think people should really question why that would be the case. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that that is something to think about. And I think that something else that I want to remind people is a lot of this information we can get off of the CDC itself. You know, we can get the list of ingredients. We can get the list of side effects, adverse reactions, we can go to VAERS and list and see the list of what has been reported about these vaccines. So again, this is not a conspiracy theory. It's it's there if you want to look for it. Um, but it's not being talked about. You know, when you mentioned the pharmaceutical ads that we see on TV, when you see an ad for, I don't know, like an antidepressant or whatever, you also see a list of all the things that could possibly happen. So check with your doctor. But are we getting that when we're going in for vaccines? Are parents receiving that? Because I don't remember that discussion myself. No, we aren't. And that's really, that's why I named my nonprofit, the Informed Consent Action Network. That actually references um, a, a set of rules that were set about after the Nuremberg trials. It's called the Nuremberg Code. After we put about 16 doctors from Nazi Germany on trial, uh, and what were we accusing them of? Of atrocities against humanity, doing experiments on people that had not agreed to the experiment, you know, testing drugs and vaccines on people uh, without their uh, permission. And so after those trials, all of the free nations in the world got together and said, we have to come up with a set of principles around medicine that make sure that this never happens again. And so they wrote the Nuremberg Code. The first rule of the Nuremberg Code is called informed consent. And it essentially says that the voluntary participation of the patient is paramount. 
that the patient should not be, you know, should not be required ever to take part in any um, medical experiment, any surgery, any uh, drug or vaccination until they've been informed of all of the potential benefits and all the potential negative side effects uh, of that procedure. And then once they've been informed of all of the potentials on both sides, then and only then should they be asked if they consent. And if they do not consent, it's still their decision to not consent. That is what we learned coming out of the Nuremberg trials. But when you look at, you know, California removed all exemptions for people, if they want to put their children in schools, they can't do it now uh, because they have to vaccinate. They're not being given a choice. And as you said, number one, they're not being informed of the known side effects, which include death, brain swelling, encephalopathies, um, uh, autoimmune diseases like diabetes. These things are written on the vaccine inserts themselves, and nobody is being told this uh, by their doctors. But most importantly, it says in the Nuremberg Code, no form of force or coercion can be used to make somebody go through a medical procedure. And when I say to people, when I speak is, what do you call it when you can't put your child into school if they're not vaccinated? You would call that coercion. So states like California and uh, New York, Mississippi, Maine, West Virginia, these states are all in total defiance now of the Nuremberg Code. I think we should really check in with ourselves and say, wait a minute, are we moving back towards saying that what Nazi Germany did was okay? I know those are strong um, statements, but I think we really, there's a reason, you know, I always believe in that statement. Uh, if you forget your history, then you're doomed to repeat it. I think we really need to stay on track. Um, call me skeptical, but I think that it's always possible to elect a bad actor. I think that there is the potential. And frankly, if you look at this nation right now, there's probably half of this country that believes that Donald Trump himself is a bad actor. You know, I'm not one of the people that will, jump on that, but I want to use that as an example. If you believe that that is true, then why would you hand Donald Trump a syringe to inject you and your children with? Because that's what you do when you take away exemptions. Let me be perfectly clear. You know, people say, oh, that's an exaggeration. The health department does it. Oh, really? Well, guess who puts in the head of the CDC? Guess who elects them? Guess who elects the head of the FDA? Guess who elects the head of the EPA? the president of the United States, not you. They put those people into position. So they are allowed to surround themselves with a type of cronies and imagine if you have a bad actor like a Hitler type person that decides, you know what? I don't like African-Americans or I don't like Latinos or I don't like gay, bi, transgender uh, people. And now those people are lined up and getting injections every month or every year, however consistent we're moving in this direction. You won't know what was injected into you, but that bad actor and in the one in charge does. And I would say, why would we ever give that amount of power to our government? That is something that our founding fathers were very clear about. Never trust your government so much that you give up personal liberties and freedoms. And I think control over what goes into your body has to be the number one uh, most important freedom we have. Yeah, and, and I think that's important. Anybody who studied nutrition would say the same thing. The government's been telling us for years, you know, giving us these dietary guidelines, which we know are not at all <laughs> what are nutritious for us. And so I, I think that it is a good line of question to go into and go, what what does our what good 
does our government really want to do for us? And, and I think that that's something worth questioning, especially right now in the times that we're in. I think that that's really important. Well, so I let, do, let me just let me just take that thought one step further, yeah. because I know that your audience is probably very clear on they read ingredients on the food that they're buying at in, in grocery stores. Like these are things that we do, right? We want to know what's in the plastic. Is it BPA free in the baby bottle we're giving our children? You know, we've all accepted that the government is allowing things onto the market that actually can be toxic for our children. So you've already, if you are reading labels, that means you don't trust the FDA. You don't. I mean, I know that in your mind you think you do, but why are you reading that la label? Now I want to ask you, what would you do if your government suddenly made it illegal to read the ingredients? And then you watch the ingredients taken off the packaging. And then when you had someone on the internet that said, look, I found an old ingredient list and I don't want to read it to you of, of the, the dairy product that we've all been eating. And then you see that person taken off of Twitter and taken off of Facebook and unable to reach you with critical information. What would you do if that was happening? You would panic. You would say, my God, what has happened? I live in the United States of America and it's now illegal for me to ask to read the ingredients. And anybody that finds the ingredients and reads it finds themselves censored on every platform there is. That is what is happening around drugs and especially this vaccine discussion right now as we speak. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I posted something a while back about B vitamins and how helpful they are. And it was removed. It was flagged because right. I, I don't remember why. But that that is, I mean we have to be really careful with what we say right now. And my question is always going to be why, why, what is, what is behind that? And so I do want to talk a little bit about your informed consent action network and what you've done and maybe some of the lawsuits, because it's another yeah. thing that we're probably not hearing about in the news. Right. Yeah. So again, I want to say, I will never be careful about what I say. So if anyone wants to really watch a show where I say exactly what I'm finding in my investigations, please go to thehighwire.com and, and check out our show. It's every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, the Informed Consent Action Network. So when I decided I wanted to do you know, more investigations discussion around vaccines, we realized that we were having real issues with a lot of it. When we took liability away from the industry in 1986, it was essentially the pharmaceutical industry blackmailed Ronald Reagan and said, we're going to stop making all vaccines unless you protect us from liability. Why did they want that protection? Because as they stated in their own words, we are losing so much money from lawsuits for death and injury from our vaccines that we cannot make a profit. I want you to sort of wrap your head around that. They make tons of drugs that are sued all the time for death and injury, and they make profits. Vioxx made a profit. Uh, you know, Oxycontin is, is, will have made a gigantic profit no matter how many billions they lose. This product was worse than all of those. It was so bad that they couldn't make a profit. And so they, you know, Ronald Reagan didn't like the idea. The Congress didn't like the idea of taking liability away. That's one of the greatest market forces we have in a free country to make, you know, to force an industry to make a better product. But when they took liability away, they put liability on our government agency and specifically health and human services. So now when you sue, if you're injured by a vaccine, you are not suing the manufacturer. In this case, you're suing the secretary of health and human services. So if you sue today, you're gonna write you know, a, a lawsuit against Alex Azar, secretary of health and human services. Um, and so you are fighting the government of the United States of America. 
So when they took on that liability, they took on also all of the safety and all of the investigations and the safety requirements. So what we realized was the government is now directly involved in protecting the interests of vaccines. There's nothing else like it in this world. They don't protect nuclear regular, you know, agencies. You have a nuclear regulatory agency that looks into things and investigates. They don't protect cars. They don't, you know, we, this is the only product where it is in the government's interest to make sure that you lose your lawsuit against the product. And so what we realized is we're not getting all the truth when it comes to the real safety trials that are being done or the things that have been done, that's supposed to be available to us, yet the government is the one blocking us from it. So that's why half of the work that my nonprofit does is through a legal team. Half of our team is a legal team that will sue uh, government agencies if they don't respond to our requests. And how the process for a lot of people that don't know this, we have Freedom of Information Act requests. You'll hear about a FOIA request is the, sort of the short version of that. As American citizens, we know that our, our politicians and our government agencies, they work for us. We are their employer. So just like in my office at Informed Consent Action Network, I can demand to see any emails that my employees are sharing with each other on, you know, um, ICANN's, you know, email uh, server. So same thing with the government. So we will put out a FOIA request to the FDA or Health and Human Services. And that's how this started. The first lawsuit we want, I think, really sort of depicts where we're looking. When we took liability away from the manufacturers with the 1986 Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, we put it on Health and Human Services. Both Reagan and the Congress hated the idea, so they put certain stop gaps, like certain protections in there. What they said was, since we now know we've taken all the incentive away from the industry to do a proper safety trial, our own regulatory agencies are going to have to pick up that ball. So... Every two years, it's written right into the 1986 Act law, every two years, Health and Human Services is going to have to meet with the Congress and explain how they've advanced the science and how they fixed the problem of these vaccines that were being sued so often they couldn't make a profit. Obviously, we've got to improve the product. Um, so what we did was we said we would like to see the meeting minutes uh, between all those meetings every two years where Health and Human Services went and discussed how they were advancing the safety of vaccines uh, to the Congress. And they didn't answer us. Like they have, they're supposed to answer us within 30 days. They didn't answer. And then we re-requested, say, we're pressuring you now. You've got to give us the answer. We just simply want to see what discussions have happened every two years since 1986 with the Congress. And they pushed back. So eventually we sued. After a year, we got tired of it, said, okay, we're taking you to court because you are not upholding the way this law is supposed to work. You're supposed to show us what happened there. And in the courtroom, they, you know, they finally admitted under, you know, a judge's orders that we have never had a single meeting, that we skipped the rule that was set up to try and make vaccines safer. We never met with Congress once. And so we won that lawsuit. We, you know, we didn't expect that. But what we found out was the one measure that was really designed to make sure vaccines were fixed never happened. So then the next lawsuit we had was in the same law, the 1986 law, 
What is Health and Human Services reporting to the Congress? They're reporting what their task force has achieved. And the law says you will form a task force that will involve the head of the CDC, the head of the H, uh, 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 FDA, and the head of the National Institute of Health. And those three heads will form a task force that will design studies and trials and science to make vaccines safer. And that task force will report to Health and Human Services who will then report to the Congress. And so we said, well, if Health and Human Services hasn't reported to Congress, what are they hiding that the task force told them? So we, again, FOIA request, we would like all, the, all of the uh, correspondence between the task force and Health and Human Services. Again, didn't answer us. Six months, a year, finally we sue and say, what is going on here? These are, you know, our children are taking product. We deserve to know how is the safety being, being handled? Or well, what happened in court? They admitted we never formed the task force. Wow. So they never did anything. They took this dangerous product, took on all the liability, built in science and, and a space with which we could make a better product and then never fulfilled any of their obligations. And so that gives you a sense of then, I mean, now as a, as a journalist, as a reporter, I, I find that mind blowing and it's shocking, especially when you see that all that happened when we took liability away from the industry is that the industry exploded. We went from 11 vaccines that they couldn't make money off of supposedly in the 1980s. As soon as we took liability away, they didn't have to do safety studies anymore. Nobody was challenging them. We went from 11 vaccines to now our children are getting 54 vaccines, as I said, in 72 doses. And so the last thing I'll, I know I talk a lot, but the last point I want to make is people say, well, you know, Dell, why are you doing this? I wouldn't be here if in that explosion of vaccines, children just got miraculously healthier. If we just saw the healthiest kids we'd ever seen, I'd be like, okay, fine. I mean, what's the point? Why go after this industry? But the opposite is true. In the 1980s, when our children got 11 vaccines, we had a chronic illness rate of 12.8%. 12.8% of America's children had chronic disease, either neurological disorders or autoimmune disease. It's really those two categories that make up chronic illness. When we were getting 11 vaccines, 12.8% chronic illness. Now that we're giving 54 vaccines, our chronic illness rate has risen to 54% of America's children now have chronic disease that will be with them their entire lives. They are sick their whole lives, whether it's an autoimmune disease or a neurological disorder. Uh, and we've seen it, right? We've seen the increase of ADD, ADHD, the increase of diabetes, the increase of childhood leukemias and, and speech delays, that one in six children now has a speech delay. One in four children is leaving elementary school on a drug they're gonna be on the rest of their lives. Folks, that is literally the greatest decline in human health ever recorded in a 30 to 40 year span. Never before in the history of mankind, and certainly not in the recorded history, have we ever seen children develop autoimmune and neurological diseases over the course of a couple of decades to the point where they can no longer live on this planet or breathe the air or eat a peanut or eat an egg. Um, we have done something really wrong. And I believe when you look at that you know, increase in vaccinations, coterminously, you can look at the increase in autoimmune disease and chronic illness. And there is tons of science now showing actually how that is happening in the immune system and why tricking the immune system with vaccines is proving to be a very dangerous game. 
Yeah, I, I think that you bring up something really interesting because I guess my question would be, I know tons of kids who are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, and they seem fine. But then when you bring up some of those things like ADD, ADHD, I used to be a teacher, I saw all sorts of chronic issues. And so you are saying that those are related to the overwhelming amounts of, of vaccines that kids get when they are young. Yeah. You know that eczema was once called, I think it was called vaccinosis. I mean, eczema is a, was originally the first vaccine injury. Once a children broke out in eczema, they would stop vaccinating because the belief was that was being caused by the vaccine. And if you are, if you have eczema in your family, then you know that asthma and eczema are actually uh, related to each other. And oftentimes a child suffering from eczema will also move into having issues with their lungs and asthma. And so right there, you have a direct known connection between vaccination and these issues. And there's been multiple now vaccine, uh, vaccinated versus unvaccinated studies. And those issues of asthma and eczema are so much higher in those that are vaccinated compared to those that are not. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, so yes, I think one of the issues people say, well, my child got vaccinated and, and they didn't have any effect. And I'll say, oh, so they don't have ADD, ADHD, or they don't have asthma. Like, well, yeah, they have, they have asthma. They have an asthma inhaler, but that's not a vaccine injury. I said, like, well, no, hold on a second. You've been told that's not a vaccine injury, but your child is not perfectly healthy. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't kids that are perfectly, there certainly are kids that are perfectly healthy with vaccination. And people say, well, then that proves that, you know, it doesn't cause autism or that it doesn't cause these other issues. And I think that's a ridiculous argument. There's people that smoke cigarettes that die at 100 years old. I mean, you know, there is not a single thing on this earth that affects every human being the same, which is really our complaint with vaccination. There's no such thing as a one size fits all drug. There are drugs that we, as you see on TV, clearly help people with their diabetes or help people with their rest, restless leg syndrome. But that list of the side effects of people that might cause heart disease could cause bleeding, internal bleeding, and there have been deaths reported. Well, who are those people? Those are the people that this drug didn't work for. Well, why don't we have that list for vaccines? You asked at the beginning. Why aren't we hearing all the side effects for vaccines? Because there is a desire and because vaccines, as we've been told, only work if everybody takes it. And this is the dangerous of this product. It has all of the same dangers of a drug and we would never give any drug to everybody because we know the side effects. But the problem with vaccination is by its description and design, it only works if everybody takes it. And so they can't tell you the side effects because they're afraid that will make people stop vaccinating. And what you have to understand is they are perfectly willing to accept as casualties of their desire to vaccinate all of the deaths, all of the injuries, all of the side effects. But the problem is they won't investigate them. They won't do data collection on how many people this is happening to, because again, people like me would use, get a FOIA request and say, I really wanna know how many people died last year. They don't wanna have to tell us, and so they are avoiding doing all the science, which is why they never reported to Congress. It's why the task force was never formed. They know damn well, if they start doing real science, investigating the safety of vaccines, we're gonna have a problem. It may be a small problem, but their concern is even if it's small, it will affect people's confidence. Well, what are we watching with this vaccine now? We're watching injuries. We're watching half of doctors now saying they're not gonna get this vaccine in the United States of America. It's really messing up the rollout. 
Well, for the first time ever, doctors are actually asking the right questions. They're going past their education, which said, we've already looked at it. The science has already settled. CDC already did it. They have a task force. They, they meet with Congress. It's all safe and well. And so doctors go, great. It's a perfectly safe product. Well, we've all watched this vaccine. It didn't get a full safety review. In fact, after eight weeks into its phase three trial, it's bailed out and got an emergency use authorization, meaning we want to give it to people before we've even finished our safety trial. And now it's being rolled out to millions of people without any understanding of its long-term effects. And believe me, this may be one of the most dangerous vaccines ever rolled out. And so now, you know, where I have been trying to get people to wake up to the reality that these vaccines are not being properly tested. My job has been made so much easier over the last couple of months because everybody in the world is watching me be proven to be correct, especially on the coronavirus vaccine. They are rolling this thing out too early. This, you know, and if you want to get into the technology of this thing, it is terrifying. But from now, no one can say, well, Dell, you're wrong about the coronavirus vaccine. That was thoroughly tested. No, they're admitting it was warp speeded into the market. You cannot rush a safety trial. There is no way in eight weeks to determine whether this causes cancer two or three years from now. We don't know if it'll cause diabetes two or three years from now or something even worse because we didn't watch it for two to three years. There's no way to ramp. We don't have some Benjamin Button type character that lives life in weeks, you know, and look, we can, you know, study years in eight weeks. It doesn't exist. The only way to determine that a safety of the product is safe for the years to come is that you have to watch it for several years. We haven't done that. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm hearing a lot of people say that, well, I would rather take the risk of the long-term effects of the vaccine over the long-term effects of coronavirus. But do we really know the long-term effects of, of COVID either? I mean, that has only not been around very long. So I guess I'm, I get confused with that reasoning. And I, I do want to know, I know on your website, on the Informed Consent Action Network, there was something stated about how the new vaccine hasn't been tested to reduce transmission, prevent transmission or reduce right even getting it, your chances of getting it. So can you explain that a little bit? Because that's not what I'm hearing from a lot of my friends who are receiving it and who are telling everybody else to go get it because it's gonna protect other people. Well, I mean, this is the problem with media, right? This is when the media is owned by the pharmaceutical industry, but it has been said, and it's easy to find. You can find Tony Fauci himself, multiple videos saying, we have no uh, proof that this vaccine stops transmission. We have no proof that it stops the infection. Um, and so that's where this has to start, right? Someone says, I would rather take my risk with the vaccine. Okay, that may be true. I mean, first of all, you don't know what the safety profile is. You might as well, it is just, it would be just as risky right now to say, I'm gonna hop on a brand new spaceship that Elon Musk has made that'll go to Mars because I've heard they've got better air on Mars and they're not suffering from coronavirus. I mean, that is the level of risk that you're taking when you take this vaccine. We have absolutely no idea what this is going to do to your body because this is a brand new technology. It doesn't resemble any vaccine ever made before. And I'll get into that in a minute. But let's get to the, down to the point. If you're going to take a risk with a vaccine, which you do every time, right? It's a calculated risk. The reason you're taking that risk is that it's going to stop the infection and stop your ability to transmit it, which helps us re reach what we've all heard is called a herd immunity, so that those that we protect those that maybe can't be vaccinated. That's the whole idea around this, except that the trials for Pfizer and, and, and um, the Moderna vaccine and AstraZeneca, 
never set out to prove that it stopped the infection. Uh, they and, and they all admit this. They will all tell you. And you are hearing even after vaccination, you're going to have to wear your mask. Just listen. Why are they saying that? They're saying that because they're telling you, you can still catch this illness and you can still spread this illness. And so it doesn't do what we all thought vaccines do, which is stop the uh, infection and stop the transmission. So now you're taking a risk for what reason? And let's be perfectly clear. When they say that the vaccine is 95% effective, what they are saying is that it's 95% effective at reducing symptoms. Um, that it's simply for the person that takes the vaccine, you are, you are under the impression that there's a 95% chance that you will have reduced symptoms. Actually, nothing could be further from the truth. And I'm going to get really detailed on the math on this on my show tomorrow on the high wire. But that's a, lo that's a much longer story. But let's just say, let's take their word for it. All it can do is potentially reduce your symptoms. It doesn't stop the infection. It doesn't stop transmission, which means it can never reach herd immunity. Meanwhile, all of the science, there is so much science now being done on the people that have caught coronavirus. And by the way, the death rate of coronavirus at its highest point was about 0.26% of our population, meaning 99.74% of people on this planet will not die when they get coronavirus. So when you're saying I would rather take my risk with the vaccine, 0.26% is a really low death rate. And we've never seen a vaccine that is 99.74% effective at beating a disease, which your immune system already is. So to take a vaccine that is less effective or not effective at all at stopping the illness, we now know, and I'm gonna show a lot of these studies on my show tomorrow that there's studies all around the world showing that it now appears that you have at least eight, year, uh, eight months of full immunity and protection against this virus once you've already uh, caught the virus. And why do we know that? And why is it only eight months? Because that's how long we've been watching people that have gotten it. We may find out that you have lifelong immunity against SARS-CoV-2, but we'll only know as each month ticks along and the people that have gotten it are still immune. Um, but that's what we know. Those that get the virus, they have long-term immunity. Those that get the vaccine, their peers have no immunity. And that's a serious problem. So when you're thinking about taking the risk, I think that you have to weigh in uh, that factor. That's interesting. I actually did get COVID last fall and I've been wondering <laughs> how long I'm going to have antibodies for because, you know, it was a typical upper respiratory infection kind of flu type thing. And I didn't have any after effects. I know some people, and I know it's different for everybody, but yep. I think that that's important is we have to know how long we're going to be immune. So let me, let me just track them just cause I'm all about details. You said, you know, I'm wondering if my antibodies are going to hold out. Well, what we have discovered with this uh, coronavirus is that there's actually a more important part of the immune system called T cell immunity and humoral immunity. This is your, this is really uh, your innate immune system. And what they're finding is even after the antibodies disappear, that is really the least significant part of the immune reaction to coronavirus. What they're seeing is the T cell immunity is being carried on and it is mounting such a powerful attack against coronavirus that that's why we think we may also be seeing asymptomatic carriers and things like that, that people really never even feel the virus and they never really create antibodies because their T cell immunity is already doing such a fantastic 
job. It's sort of like, you know, when you watch an old war that starts out with the archers and then come the horses. Well, we never get to the horses because the archers killed everybody. That's what's happening. The T cells appear to be wiping. It's such a fragile virus, actually, that for 99.74% of us, you know, well, or at least the body of those people, we don't know the exact percentages, but our T cells are mounting the attack. So testing for antibodies is more and more scientists is saying this may be irrelevant to understanding where your, your immunity is at against this disease. And it's also why more and more science is showing that somewhere between 60 to 80% of the population in the world appears to not be able to catch SARS-CoV-2. And that's because it really is just another coronavirus like the cold somebody got last year. Remember, coronavirus has always been labeled as one of the viruses that causes the common cold. It's a very um, infectious illness. When they say the new strain is really infectious, it's always infectious. Coronavirus is one of the most infectious illnesses there is. Your kid's runny nose is usually caused by a coronavirus. It just happens to not be a very deadly illness. This is why we hear about all the laboratories that have been studying coronavirus, that all the funding by NIAID and Fauci and why they moved it to China. All of that happened. Why are they studying coronaviruses? Because they want to see, can they make it deadly? It'd be a really great weapon if this highly infectious illness could be deadly. But its problem is it's not. And so that's what science, you know, you know, our dark, sick approach towards war means let's take something highly virulent and see if we can make it highly deadly. Um, so, but I'm sort of getting off track, but just so you know, the reason we think that we're seeing such a low death rate really essentially around the world from what's supposed to be a deadly, if it was really deadly, we should be seeing millions of people die. We're just not seeing that happen because most people appear to already have immunity because they caught a cold last year. And even if they don't show antibodies, their T cells that they developed, it's called cross-reactive T cell immunity. That is waging a brilliant war against coronavirus this year. That's a really good point. I'm glad that you brought that up. And so we're starting to run out of time. I'd love to know, what's your prediction for 2021? Where do we go from here? How can we advocate for ourselves? Because it does seem like we're up against a lot. There's a lot of censorship on health. And I know you, you know that more than anybody. So where do we go from here? I think that 2020 really stood up to its name. I think that 2020, when we think about 2020 vision, a lot was really brought into clarity. Now, I know we are a divided nation, and I would say that everyone turn off your television set, stop watching the news. I believe the news is fueling our hatred for each other, and that's all it's doing. It's not giving us any decent information. It is totally a propaganda for the, the industries that it works for. Um, and so it's doing us no good. But I think you, you know, when you look at what's taken place, there's a lot we now know that we never knew before. We know who our friends are. We know who agrees with us. We know what politicians stand for freedom and those that don't. But more than ever, what we've watched is we've watched an approach towards a virus that's never happened before. Never in the history of mankind did we quarantine the healthy people. We've always, in any quarantine situation, only quarantined those with symptoms, those who are sick, and it's always been effective at stopping illness. This was an experiment and it's a failed experiment. When, and, I, and I think you're going to see real shifts now. I just saw this morning, I think it was reported yesterday, that Andrew Cuomo is now saying, we have got to open up. We cannot wait for this vaccine. He is now saying that if we stay locked down, there will be nothing left to open up. That is a huge wow. change, right? 
And essentially, I mean, for I don't mean to be political, but that's exactly what Donald Trump and others were complaining about, that we cannot have the cure be worse than the disease. And in this case, New York is now recognized. And I think we all have to recognize that despite the fact that New York locked down better than everyone else, that they've masked harder than everyone else, that they have the high, uh, under those circumstances, they still had the highest per capita death rate in the world. And they're still seeing a rise in cases, no matter what they do, no matter how hard they lock down. And we're seeing this in California. Mm -hmm. We're seeing this in the, in the states that are using the most draconian measures. It's a total failure. And those states are now going to have to face devastating unemployment, devastating death and illness caused by poverty um, and destruction of businesses. But on top of that, they've also seen that it didn't end up working. Texas that didn't lock down or Florida that's barely masking and is not locked down has, you know, roughly the same rates of this virus, meaning you can't hide from a virus. That's what I think we've learned. There's no way to hide from a virus. A virus is going to run its course. You might delay it for a day or two. You might flatten the curve. And remember, that's all they ever thought they could do. The entire purpose of flattening the curve was just to make sure that our ICUs were not overrun, that we could handle the amount of people. It was never about saving lives. They've changed that dialogue. That's why it was going to be 14 days to flatten the curve. We're like eight months in to a 14-day flatten the curve. Flatten the curve is all you could ever maybe do, slow it down a bit. But in the end, everyone is going, let me make this perfectly clear. For the most part, if you were not immune from last year's coronavirus, just like if you're not, you know, like every other illness, then we are all that are susceptible. We're going to have to catch this virus one way or another. There's only two ways to catch it. You're either going to catch it walking around out in the population, or you're going to be injected with it in some form of this vaccine. But here's the problem. The only way we avoid future of getting coronavirus over and over again is we have to achieve herd immunity. If there's only two approaches, catching the illness or vaccinating for it, there's only one of those approaches that is saying it's not going to reach herd immunity because it's not stopping the infection. And that's the vaccination of this. And we're already seeing the new strain may not be covered by this vaccination. So what are we going to do? Vaccinate every three to five, you know, six months. Uh, with a vaccine that can't stop the infection and can't deal with the new strain, whereas someone who catches the virus has a much more profound immunity. Very clearly, the vaccine is only protecting you against one spike protein. You've heard about the spike protein on the SARS coronavirus. There's 29, as I understand it, proteins on the virus. If you catch the virus, your body protects against all 29 proteins, any mutation that's gonna happen inside of those 29. But if you only vaccinate for the spike protein and one of the other proteins starts to be an issue, your body doesn't see it. We never taught it to look for it. So true immunity, true powerful herd immunity right now can only be captured by catching this virus, which is why I stand with the 50,000 doctors that have signed on to the Great Barrington Declaration. These are world-renowned virologists and scientists from Harvard, USC, Oxford, you name it. The top scientists in the world are all saying the same thing. We have got to have a measured approach, just as Andrew Cuomo is now finally waking up to what I've been saying for nine months and every decent scientist in the world. You cannot hide from this virus. Therefore, here's what we have to do. We've got to protect those that are the most at risk, over the age of 65 and with other comorbidities, meaning 
by the way, only 6% of people in America have died from just coronavirus. Everyone else, they said, had an average of 2.5 other life-threatening illnesses like heart disease, COPD, diabetes. Um, these are the issues that are really getting people killed. So here's what we have to do. We've got to take those in the high-risk category that are making up the largest part percentage of our death rate and really protect them. We've got to learn how to bubble wrap our nursing homes, essentially. I think you've got to make sure that those people that, that are the doctors and nurses, that when there's an outbreak like this, they live in that space. Maybe they get more paid since they can't go home, but we can't have them moving in and out uh, of the nursing homes and retirement communities where the most fragile, really the dry grass, when you think of like a match scenario, where the dry grass is, we've got to protect that. Meanwhile, while they're being protected and those that are taking care of our elderly and high at risk, while in where, you know, hermetically sealing food is being delivered, the rest of us, that if you take the 65 and over with comorbidities out of the equation, the rest of us have about a 99.99% uh, success rate. And children, it's like 99.999999. Let the kids go back to school. Let them take off their masks. Let them catch this cold. Let those of us that are healthy enough that have no risk of dying from this, uh, let us catch this cold so we reach that, that herd immunity space, which is what has happened with every virus since the dawn of man. This is how we naturally have handled this. If we do that, then within a, a, really a couple of months, probably, we will finally see this virus disappear because there will be no more, not enough dry grass to burn. And at that point, you can open up your nursing homes. You can let those that are at risk now walk freely through a park without a mask and breathe the air because we are all protecting them. That is what nature is designed so perfectly. For those that believe in God, you know, God, when we hear created us in the image and likeness of himself, did a really good job. And for those of you who are just straight up scientists that believe in evolution, evolution did a really good job too. We are perfectly designed to breed bacteria and viruses every day as we do. And if there is a strong one, it really is only strong for a small group of people, protect them. But the rest of us have to breathe this in. Our children have got to continue to develop their immune systems because there are viruses kind of do get a little bit worse as time goes along, but they don't affect us because we've been establishing immunity slowly but surely and getting stronger and stronger. Just like someone in a weight room can lift more and more weights, we are, our bodies are capable of handling it as long as we allow ourselves to be in direct contact. The most dangerous thing we can do is to hide our bodies from viruses and bacteria. Just very quickly, I know I've talked a lot, but imagine Mexico. When you travel to Mexico and you drink that water, at least I do, I get sick as a dog. But no one living there gets sick from the water because they've adapted to that water. Now imagine if you said to all Mexicans, there's microbes in that water and it's deadly and it's dangerous. Uh, so stop drinking the water and we start giving everybody bottled water it wouldn't take but maybe a decade or two before no one in Mexico could drink their own water. We are attempting to do the same thing with our air. Do we really want to live on a planet where we haven't been adapting as we go along and now we have to wear helmets? I mean, they're starting to market them in, in the airports. I've seen the helmet. Are you ready for a helmet, folks? I guess we really are on Mars then. I don't want to live on Mars. And I think that our bodies are perfectly designed to make sure that this is always a planet in the air we can breathe. We need to wake up. And so when you ask me what's going to happen, I believe people are waking up to that reality every day now. In 2021, there'll be a lot of arguments about this. There's going to be a lot of conflict. But if you turn off the television, really use your own critically thinking mind and watch the highwire.com. So that because, by the way, one of the things I do 
is I have a newsletter where every time you watch my show, three days later, four days later on Monday, we send out a newsletter with links online so you can click and read every study I'm referencing, every journal that I'm discussing, every article and every video. I'm the only news agency like it. It's perfectly transparent news. And then you can challenge me if you think I got it wrong or somehow read that study wrong, but I'm putting the truth in your hands. I'm not giving you slogans. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm trying to show you how to think and where to look. Uh, that's what all news should be doing if we want to see a brighter future. Yeah. And, and despite the censorship, you are still, your high wire is still booming. You know, yeah, it's still booming. growing like crazy. And I think that's important too. There is a movement happening. And I just, I appreciate your retention of information. I don't know. Do you, do you sleep? Is sleep a thing that you do? Because it's <laughs> like your brain, it's, you're just always building information and learning things. And I, and I love that. And I think that that's important for people to hear. So, um, Thehighwire.com is where people can watch yes. a show. Icandecide.org is yep. right. The other that's our nonprofit. So if you okay. want to see the lawsuits we're talking about, or, or see some, we've done white papers. We we have some really uh, detailed papers. We have a four-page short version. We have a thirty-seven-page long version that lays out all of the um, issues we have with the dangers of vaccines, and every one of them has a hyperlink. So you can see what we're referencing. And you're right, you said it early on, a lot of it is the CDC's own science, Health and Human Services Sciences, WHO science. There's nothing I'm talking about that I can't prove with scientific evidence. I do not make statements that are not backed by peer-reviewed science. And so that's what people are getting when they check out the high wire. If you go to icandecide.org, you can also see sort of the deeper uh, you know, um, information that we're sharing with the public. Yep. Yeah, I encourage people to start digging and and to challenge you and to to get into yes, it and and be your own health advocate. And I think that that's just a theme that we need to continue for 2021 as well. So I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for being on the show and for offering all of your information and wisdom and advice. Thank you for having me. Take care, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.